0: It's the daily podcast trying to make long-term sense out of the chaos of today's global crisis. Hello, everybody. It is January 22nd, a Friday in the uh, early afternoon in California. The week's coming to an end. And it's already clear that the Biden administration is focusing on four areas, um, what they're calling uh, immediate priorities uh, COVID-19, of course, climate, racial equality, um, and, uh, economics. So the debate is beginning about how Biden should govern from the left. People like David Sorota is arguing that Biden has to be radical. Uh, my old friend, Timothy Egan, who's been on the show, uh, Argues that Biden can govern in poetry. I don't quite know what that means, but it's it's a nice poetic image. And of course, from the right, we have Marco Rubio arguing that however centrist Biden appears, he's actually really a communist, and we have to we have to be suspicious, and there's not going to be any honeymoon. So everything is up in the air. One of the things tying together these four areas of COVID, climate, uh, particularly racial equality and, uh, and economics is policing, law and order, prisons, racism. Uh, and I thought it would be an interesting um, experiment today to revisit a very influential book that was written in 2017 by uh, Alex uh, Vitale, The End of Policing, incredibly controversial and very interesting and, of course, increasingly relevant in early 2021 after Black Lives Matter, after George Floyd in 2020. Um, Alex, what has changed in the four years since you wrote The End of Policing?
1: Well, what's happened is that the movement has has mushroomed and has become much more of a kind of national topic of conversation. When I wrote the book, there were a handful of movements on the ground pushing for, you know, reprioritizing public spending away from policing in jails and towards community uh, public safety interventions. But uh, now it's become a, a really important national conversation and we're seeing real victories emerge out of it.
0: Are you fearful, Alex, that this issue will become "quote unquote" a wedge issue that will make the Democrats or reformers appear more radical than they actually are, and 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 and, and scare off, uh, scare off, um, scare off the center?
1: Well, it's interesting. This movement wasn't really a. Tr- Focused on having some influence on national politics in 2020, or I would say right now. The focus has really been on local organizing. Police budgets in the US are determined at the local level, and public safety is considered primarily a local concern. And so the focus of the organizing right now is about turning people out for local budget hearings and lobbying city council members and, and developing local community safety plans. So what happens in a year or two with midterm elections, you know, may end up having something to do with this, but that's not really the focus of the movement right now, which is trying to build up support at at the community level for these alternatives to policing.
0: Alex you're sounding very cuddly but and and you're looking very cuddly uh, from your your office in in Brooklyn New York uh but the book itself the end of policing is pretty radical it's not cuddly and i don't mean that in a critical way you make the issue of policing in some ways the harder you ha- here we have the uh the, the chapter titles you you make the issue of policing central to
1: injustice in America. Is that fair in the end of policing? I think it is central. I think that's part of what people are coming to realize is that we're not going to be able to achieve racial or economic justice in the United States while maintaining this massive policing apparatus and mass incarceration. So what we see at the local level is, you know, 30, 40, 45% of local budgets are going into policing. More than all social services, libraries, education, healthcare combined in many cases. And so, any effort to construct a kind of local, progressive, left wing, socialist oriented politics is going to have to require that we begin to dismantle this over reliance on the criminal legal system. And at the same time, you know, that system has historically been used to suppress exactly these movements for racial and economic justice. So whether it's the labor movement or or the Black Lives Matter movement, uh, we're going to need to have a a rethink on why we've created this, this massive policing apparatus. And and certainly the next step is not what we hear out of the Biden administration, which is to give them more tools for political policing, to expand terrorism laws and all the rest.
0: Well, Alex, you're putting your own pressure from the left on Biden. I hope he's watching and I hope he's feeling your heat. Um, It's not just money, though, is it? It's the kind of people who are attracted to the police. We know that Apparently, one in five defendants in the capital riots um, earlier this month served in the military. And in my mind, at least, it's not always clear what the difference is between the military and the police. And many people who uh, were military people end up in the police. Why does the police attract? I know this is a generalization and some people <laughs> will disagree, but why does the the, the police attract? Um, to some extent, a a minority of of, a violent and and indeed criminal class.
1: Well, it's certainly true that there's a lot of sympathy for Trump and these right-wing extremist movements and even these kinds of crackpot conspiracy QAnon type theories among police. But I think it's a mistake to say that the problems of policing are rooted in the personality of officers. You know, Policing is becoming much more diverse. Many young people go into policing because they think this is a way to help their communities. And I have students like this myself. The problem is, is that the institution, its nature, the way it's organized, moves people towards a more authoritarian outlook, let's say, which is that you know, police, what distinguishes them from other parts of government is that police are violence workers they are trained and authorized to use violence. And that means that it creates a kind of defensive culture and a culture that views themselves in conflict with large parts of the population. And this adheres very nicely to a kind of right-wing ideology that says that you know the problems of society are about individual and group moral failure that will only respond to coercive interventions. And in that way, it erases the possibility of an explanation that's rooted in market failure and discrimination and deep inequalities. And so, that apparatus of policing is always going to contain these very conservative tendencies. You know, police made up a huge proportion of John Birch Society members. Police were associated with KKK organizations. There's a long history of this close connection between police and anti communist movements and all the rest. Uh, but Alex, would it be fair
0: to say that the book has a wonderful title, I, I wish I'd come up with a title like that, in which accounts in, in part, at least for its success, you're not really calling for the end of policing in your book, you're calling for the end of a certain kind of policing, you don't want to do away with police themselves.
1: Well, I certainly don't think that we should be talking about magically eliminating all police tomorrow, right? There's no way to do that. Uh, There's a massive apparatus of policing. So even folks who are committed to a long-term vision of abolishing police or, or eliminating all police understand that this is about chipping away at that system in strategic ways and replacing it with better alternatives. So I don't sort of predetermine what's left at the end of that process as we chip away the things that we shouldn't be using policing for. I think we just have to see where that process leads us.
0: I'm interested in in your take on the conversation or the debate within the Democratic Party. There was a piece in the New York Times uh, just after the, 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 the Floyd events last year about top Democrats, particularly around Bernie Sanders, going further than Biden on, on reforming the police. Um, and again, I'm quoting this piece. They're suggesting very few advocates fully agree on defunding the police, but they do want to go further. Who in your mind on the left within the Democratic Party Is a kind of paragon of wisdom when it comes to reforming the police. Is it Bernie Sanders? Uh, Bernie's position
1: was pretty good and and I actually helped work on it, uh, though it contains some kind of procedural reform elements that that have no empirical support. They're not going to work. They were just kind of thrown in there, things like implicit bias training for police. I think we should look to members of the squad Ayanna Presley and Rashida Tlaib issued the BREATHE Act, which I think is a, an excellent roadmap for how we could defund policing at the federal level and replace that funding for policing with funding to these community-based uh, public safety initiatives. But uh, ultimately, we're going to have to see some major changes in the Democratic Party before that viewpoint becomes more mainstream. The the good news is is that some of Biden's appointments to the Justice Department, who will be overseeing this this area of the Justice Department, have signaled that we do need to dial back our reliance on policing. But they also remain committed to things like community policing and procedural reforms of police. So we'll have to see how that shakes out.
0: Alex, um, uh, Ezra Klein, uh, who's just started a writing regularly for the New York Times, has a column this morning saying, Democrats, here's how to lose in 2020 and deserve it. And I think he suggests that uh, you need to change the system profoundly. You have to have achievements. My guess is that Klein would argue that one way to lose in 2020, I don't want to put words, 2022, one way to lose in 2022, I don't want to put words into his mouth, is to over-identify with these very radical causes. Um, Can Americans, can Biden win, and can the Democrats win in 2022, and at the same time achieve these very radical reforms of the police?
1: Well, I think this is an open question. I mean, we have some countervailing analysis of of 2020. Uh, We know that some moderates, you know, are blaming this movement, but we had record high turnouts in cities where these defund the police movements are alive and well and and were incredibly active. So I don't think we know exactly how that will all play out. But I think it's also important to say that this movement isn't about getting politicians to mouth certain key words to get our support. We're much more focused on results. And I personally don't care what they call it. I don't need people to pass some litmus test of putting a particular hashtag in a tweet. I need them to do some deep rethinking about how to most effectively produce public safety in communities. And we know that that is not through more policing. So they can call it whatever they want as long as we begin this process in earnest. And I think it's by having success in doing this, that we're going to actually win people over in exactly the way that Ezra Klein is concerned about.
0: Alex, are you worried that there are activist radicals on the left who are already getting the defund anti-police movement a bad name? Even after the Biden uh, um, presidency started this week, there were riots in, 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 in Portland and Seattle, and the rioters claiming, abolish ICE, no cops, prisons, borders, presidents. Does the left or the extreme left need to grow up here?
1: Well, they're not uh, looking to me for advice on that. Well, and yeah, and still, it, I, I don't see it, to it as my advice. job I to-, mean, to
0: it, it does provide grist to the Marco
1: Rubio's of the world. Yes, it does. But of course, we just saw in the quote you gave that no matter how moderate the Democrats go, he will continue to accuse everyone of being a communist. So I think that we have to be skeptical about this idea that there's some magical middle out there to be appealed to. I think we should be focusing on shoring up our base. We have we still have abysmal turnout rates in American uh, elections, and there's a lot that could be done to get people excited about a real vision for social, economic, and racial justice. So I'm focused on that, not on policing the movement. I I think we need an aspirational politics that is going to drive productive organizing and help change politics on the ground.
0: Uh, Alex, you wrote The End of Policing, as I said at the beginning, uh, in 2017. Um, Could you have imagined George Floyd. I mean, obviously, you could imagine Floyd in, in in terms of what the police did to him, but could you ever have imagined the success? And, and uh, I assume anyway, the success of Black Lives Matter in twenty twenty, and the way in which it's ignited the world on racism and on the behavior of the police.
1: Well, it certainly surprised me and caught caught me off guard. I uh, I actually had the deal to write this book in twenty thirteen before. Eric Garner was killed, before Mike Brown was killed. And I definitely was not imagining this kind of mass mass national movement when when I made the deal to write this book. I I was trying to have an intervention to bring the conversation of policing into the conversation about mass incarceration. And I thought, you know, maybe I could have a small intervention there. And it is obviously quickly mushroomed in relationship to this on-the-ground sustained movement that we've seen that began with, you know Trayvon Martin uh, and continued through the Ferguson uprising. And people are continuing to organize and that's that's really what differentiates this moment from past struggles around abusive policing, which have tended to be incredibly localized, short-lived and episodic. And instead, we've seen it rolled into a much larger kind of uh, racial justice movement. That is really sustained and is just filling itself with with young people every day. I, I see this all across the country in the work I do.
0: Alex, I wanna talk specifically about the, the the racial element here, which I think in many ways is is central. But I'm curious as to your take on 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 the thinking within the police. We had Images like this, you remember last year of the the military police in in Buffalo knocking down a 75-year-old protester and marching over his body. Um, How do you think, the and and, and I know it's hard to talk about a, a, a typical American policeman, but if there is such a thing, how did they react to these images and to the the Black Lives Matter movement and and and, and, and what happened uh, around uh, George Floyd in 2020?
1: Well, there are some clear divisions within policing. On the one hand, we see police union leaders speaking for the rank and file very unambiguously being apologists for this abusive policing that we saw this summer. They don't think police have done anything wrong. They think the protests are completely illegitimate and should be suppressed. But then you have more, quote, enlightened or liberal police leaders who have responded to this with calls for yet more reform exactly the kinds of reforms that they actually had in Minneapolis. You know, the officers who killed George Floyd had had implicit bias training and de-escalation training and were wearing body cameras and had a new use of force policy. And all these reforms just didn't make any difference. So police are of two minds about this, but ultimately the decision-making about how to go forward with this is not in the hands of police. It's in the hands of elected officials. And one of the important things about this pivoting to defund the police is that it places responsibility for this problem directly in the seat of local elected officials where it belongs. Are you worried about
0: white supremacists and militias who have supposedly infiltrated police across the US? There there were reports of this late last year and this is particularly sensitive in, in, in the wake of the, the January 6th insurrection in Washington, D.C.
1: Well, obviously, I'm I'm not happy about it, but I'm also not like profoundly worried about it. I don't think these movements are actually going to prove to be particularly strong and robust. And the idea that they're going to, you know, manipulate the response of police through these secret relationships. to vi- That just doesn't seem very realistic. The right-wing movement is incredibly fragmented and disorganized, which is in fact what we saw on January 6th and the fallout from January 6th. So while I think we should be doing what we can to, you know, purge policing of people who shouldn't be there, I think it's more important that we focus on demilitarizing policing, reducing the scope of police power, and looking for other ways to resolve what are essentially political problems.
0: Alex, let's talk directly about race. It, it, it tends to really, in, in truth, I think, dominate a lot of the, the political discussion in America, even if people won't acknowledge it, particularly when it comes to, to, to policing. We had um, last month Candacy Taylor, Uh, on the show talking about Overground Railroad, the experience of uh, of African-American families traveling around America. These images of white police and and, and, and African-American civilians are are, are really shocking. They're from uh, a few generations ago, but they may still be relevant. How central in your mind is reforming the police in America and addressing the history uh of racial injustice and racism
1: well i'm pretty skeptical about the possibility of doing that i, I just uh, co-authored a piece this last week with my colleague jennifer kobina at the michigan state university in which we lay out the evidence that shows that attempting to fix the problems of, of policing through police diversification are just uh that's not going to work the evidence seems pretty clear And so we need to think about not the bias of individual officers and how that reproduces racial inequality, but but how the fundamental nature and mission of policing does that. Whether it's the war on drugs or broken windows policing or border policing, all these forms of policing are at root racial projects. They were designed that way, not by police but by political leaders who created these projects and then turned them over to police. And so if we want to reduce the racialized impacts of policing, we need to focus less on diversity training and hiring more black and brown police officers. And we need to focus instead on ending the war on drugs, eliminating mass homelessness, uh, fixing schools, the kinds of things that are really enabling these racially disparate outcomes in in policing and in larger systems of of the economy.
0: Alex, we had um, a couple of weeks ago, Dr. Carl Hart on the show uh, talking about um, legalizing much drug use. He's a professor of psychology at Columbia University, another very controversial book. How you mentioned drugs earlier, how central is reform of of of, of the legality of, of 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 drugs central to um, reforming the police?
1: Well, I think it's terribly important, but it's not going to be the entire fix. I mean, the drug war has been a major driver of intensive and invasive policing, the erosion of the Fourth Amendment. Uh, it has a, been a significant contributor to mass incarceration, especially in the federal system. And it produces these black markets, which are responsible for bringing guns into communities, creating organized criminality, international. You know, uh, criminal organizations and all the rest. And the solution to this is not to give more money to the DEA or to create more local, federal, state, and local task forces to get the drug dealers. The solution is to look towards public health interventions, to look at different models of uh, decriminalization or legalization. I think the, uh, the recent decision by voters in Oregon to decriminalize low level possession of all drugs and to invest new resources in public health interventions is exactly what we should be looking at in other places as well. Alex,
0: let's end where we began. We began uh, talking about Biden's four areas of focus, um, COVID, climate, racial equality, and, and economics. Um, he's got a couple of years as, 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 um, uh, as we're reminded to, uh, by, by Ezra Klein to, um, to convince America that he's credible and legitimate and they should vote for him again. What should he do very, very concretely on the police front? What one or two policies would you like to see actually formalized and implemented in the next two years?
1: Well, I'd like to see him dismantle the cops office at the Department of Justice, which is sending hundreds of millions of dollars to enable more intensive local policing and replace that with public safety grants that could go to communities to invest in exactly the kinds of alternatives to policing that this movement is calling for. And the other thing he could do is he could eliminate. The transfer of military hardware to local police departments through the 1033 program and through a variety of homeland security grants. So those are some concrete steps that I think would be in keeping with the key demands of the movement and would would help us really move forward on this question.
0: Alex, it's so nice that you are so concrete. Your book, <laughs> uh, "The End of Policing," is 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 a combination of concreteness and. Uh, dreaming, I guess. It's definitely an essential read uh, even though it was published in, in 2017. I'm sure it's out in paperback or will be out in paperback. You're in uh, Brooklyn in these strange times in early 2021, stuck inside. What else should people be reading uh, to perhaps make sense of America's predicament and opportunity in the early days of, of Biden's America?
1: Yeah, it's a, uh, available as a paperback, an ebook, an audiobook, and uh, in other languages as well. Uh, I want to recommend a new book by my uh, colleague, Elliot Curry, about violence, a peculiar indifference. Yeah, and- uh, Elliot was on the show. He, uh, he reminds us that
0: between 2000 and tw- 2018, 162,000 African Americans lost their lives to violence. Why is Elliot's book so essential in terms of,
1: of, of thinking about the police, Alex? Because one of the things we hear from defenders of policing is that police are what we need to address violence. And what Curry makes clear is that policing is not the solution to our violence problems. The real solution is rooted in employment, in services for young people in crisis, for supports for families, and that there's no way that America is gonna police itself out of its violence problem.
0: Well, Alex Vitale, uh, I have to say, this is obviously a very controversial subject, the author of End of Policing. Not everyone will agree with everything you've said, but I have to say that you present your argument, and and you've obviously very experienced in doing this in, in a very coherent and persuasive way. I hope it won't cost Democrats votes, and I hope that some of the things you've been talking about will be implemented uh, in in the first years of the Biden administration. I look forward to having you back on the show, Alex. The yeah, next- let's see how it goes, Andrew. <laughs> yeah, to see to see whether anything has changed. So, a happy, healthy, and safe 2021, Alex, and we'll look forward to having you back on the show in the not too distant future. Thanks so much, Andrew. You've been listening to Keynote hosted by me, Andrew Key. Make sure to join us the rest of this season as we explore how to fix capitalism. Make sure to visit us at lithub.com where you can subscribe to the show in iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify or wherever you listen to your podcasts. While you're at it, if you enjoyed what you heard, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes. Or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would also help too. Today's episode was produced and edited by Justin Alvarez and the team at LitHub Radio. See you next week, and thanks so much for listening.